0: hombre look a little closer cigar coming
1: from Chicago it's an honor to be on with you thanks for the invite uh, thanks for the support and thanks for the recognition uh, you know we, we both started in this business a long time ago we don't have to say how long ago but um but we're still here and we're doing, you know, like uh, things are things are happening. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think I'm going to be one of those, uh, you know, 25-year
0: overnight successes pretty soon. You took the words out of my mouth. You know, we're overnight successes and only took us, you know, 25 years. <laughs> Salvation, my improv group from Chicago that I started 24 years ago, is coming up on 25 years. So this is about that same that same road, you know. so, So I'm glad that we've hung in there because you have such a unique voice such a great voice you and your your partner your wife christina just are you know are a brilliant team and i think that uh, you guys are an inspiration and i'd like to you know eventually get to talk a little bit about that because yeah you guys make such a wonderful team uh you're and it shows in your work and all that so we're very proud of you is, i think what i'm Thanks, trying man. to. Say.
1: thank you well for those who don't know me you know i'm, I'm a director um writer director producer and um We have a film right now on uh, HBO Max. Uh, This one here, there's a poster for it. It's called In Other Words. Um, And uh, I just completed another another film uh, that, well, I I did two films, one one in 2020, one in 2021. And the one we did in 2020 just got picked up by Samuel Goldwyn uh, Films. And that's going to be for possible theatrical release, Paul. Theatrical.
0: Oh, Patrick. I'm, I'm so happy for you and sad for me because I, I think I understand <laughs> that. But I, I'm so happy for you because, I mean, that's a big deal, right, to just go, I mean, to to have a theatrical release, especially in this time right now. Yeah, it, it, it's
1: a huge deal. First of all, the only the only films that are getting theatrical release are Marvel films, you know, with massive budgets. And, uh, you know, with people not going to the theaters as much, um, really those tent poles are the draw. You know, our, our film is a little uh, indie uh, with a, with a bunch of Latino main characters and, and you know, really diverse um, cast, you know, um, and but really no major stars to speak of. So for the, for something like that kind of film to get a theatrical release is really, really awesome. For I mean we're we're just incredibly proud and psyched that, that Samuel Goldwyn thinks that this is something that the world should see. Um, so you know we'll we'll definitely be promoting when that happens. That'll be in the fall of this year. But um, you know until then, um, you know we'll we'll be updating people on on the progress.
0: And please, I, I'd either love to have you come back and maybe we can do this you know more often than just once. Uh, but either way, I'd love to help support in any way that I can, uh, whether it's just through, through retweeting or, or putting it out there on social media, but any way that, uh, that I can be of service, I would love to because it's, again, it's, it's a project, you know, everyone, and rightly so, I think complains like, oh, there aren't any Latino projects out there. Um, no one's giving us a chance. So when, when you have a chance, you jump on it and then people realize what's been missing. I mean, if, if, like I said, if, is it Metro? You said Metro Goldwyn? Mayor? Is, is that just Goldwyn? Like, uh, it's, it's the Goldwyn family made their
1: own shingle. It's called Samuel Goldwyn's films. And, um, and they've been doing really good, like premium work. Um, if you look up their slate, they have some top quality award winning stuff. They have, they have a pretty discerning, uh, you know, uh, eye when it comes to acquisition. So we're really proud to be part of their lineup.
0: Wonderful. When is it slated for release then? Do you have a date or do you have a date?
1: No, they're just completing the the, the deal. So um, they're saying in the fall, it was just announced in the trades uh, that, so really I I read it in the trades. I knew it was happening, but I didn't know the details. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm finding out, you know, by the news articles as well, but they say in the fall. So we'll see
0: specifically and have more info. Wonderful. Well, bottom line, how much did you make on this? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Congratulations now. So, but this isn't your first, this is not your your first rodeo. Uh, What's been your journey like? I mean, and I, again, you know, we've known each other now since I think, well, since I probably, since I moved to LA in 2000, that's when I started, you know, Mm -hmm. that's when I came from Chicago. Barrio Speedwagon. Uh, You had a, a sketch comedy show. What did you guys think of us when, when we when we came out? Because you know, for us it was a little bit of a culture shock because, like, we weren't familiar even with like the word pocho or maybe even Chicano. Uh-huh. I think I coined the term Chicano, a Chicano yeah, from yeah, Chicago. yeah, yeah. Well, so we no. you know, we, we weren't very much yeah. in touch with what, what well, was going on.
1: I don't know. I I, I, I found you guys to be. Uh, right in the, the vein of what we were up to, which is kind of creating, um, you know, comedy, broad comedy, but with a little bit of the Latin flavor, you know, and, um, you know, I I, I I joined up with the Esteban Zul and, and Lalo uh, Alcaraz uh, early on because, you know, I actually heard about them when I was in New York going to school. And I heard that these guys are a couple of uh, Mexican Americans out, out in LA doing this comedy. And, um, we were running in the same circles and we ended up collaborating on stuff. They hired me to, uh, to develop a script with them. And I helped, I edited their, one of their short films that was in the Fox search lab and, uh, we became collaborators and then you guys came out from Chicago and, um, You know, I I was at that time just really happy to see more and more creators, people who are dedicated to like telling our stories, having a unique voice, not taking themselves too seriously. You know, there was certain there was a certain style that you guys embodied that I think was jived with with, with, what what we were doing. Um, You know, at that time, I thought literally thought we were all going to be overnight successes. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't you? Didn't you?
0: A well, hundred percent, because, you know, we came out with a show. We came out with Touched by an Anglo, and we're like, well, somebody's going to see this and see the brilliance in it. And, and you know, looking back, I mean, I thought it was, you know, because we'd already created it and, and crafted it in Chicago, so we knew it was funny, we knew it worked, but we got the same kind of runaround, which was, you know, you take it to ABC or NBC or CBS, and they're like, you know, oh, well, well you know, take, take have you tried Univision or Telemundo? And we take it to Telemundo and Univision, and then they are like, uh, oh God, like, no, take it to, you know, you guys aren't Latinos. You guys aren't Mexican. You know, you gotta take it to ABC, CBS. So we were kind of caught like in this middle. I landed a, a Del Taco commercial campaign, like six months in. It's like, this is easy. What are people complaining about? And then, but meeting you guys, and I don't know if the, if the project that you worked with, with Lalo and Esteban was Taco Truck, the movie, but I, we were here like a week and we get brought in to do part of this table read for for Gregory Nava, I think, right? And and I, we met Constance Marie and gosh, I forget I forget what other you know these Latino actors celebrities were like. Oh my God, we're in the same room as these guys. You know, the, the guy that had been on Three's Company, the guy that wiped his feet. I forget what his name was. Felipe. Uh, <laughs> Felipe. Felipe. I don't know his real name, uh, but that was his character name. that was his character. Yeah. And so I remember Joe Nunez and I were like, oh, my God, that's that guy. Like, we were overwhelmed. And you're right. We thought, you know, overnight success. Like, you kidding me? Yeah. This is easier. Yeah. This is easy. What are people complaining about? Yeah. You guys kind of showed up. You're like, we're
1: here. We're you here. may love me now. Where's our <laughs> show? Yeah. yeah, where's my show? <laughs> you know? And, you know, I, I had done this thing where I literally, like, I went to, to school back east in, in New York. I went to Columbia University. And I was kind of like, okay, what, do, what am I, I really want to do this film thing. I really want to pursue this. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna give it like, let me give it a couple years. And I was looking at the demographics of like Latinos in the United States. And it just like we're this huge demographic wave grow, like a mountain just growing. And I was like, this is inevitable. This is going to be like shooting duck, ducks in a barrel. You know, it's going to be so easy. We have a huge audience. We're only growing. It's the future. Everyone's going to want to cater to this voice was it wasn't, hasn't really been established yet. And 20 years later that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> you know And it's really like I, I have, I've had to question my premise, like what it is I'm doing in this industry, you know my voice, a lot of things like it makes you really think like why if we are the light, largest minority in the US, don't we have the kind of success that African Americans have in comedy, in movies, in, in popular culture, you know, and you could say like, yes, there is, there is successes. Of course we have George Lopez's mega sells out stadiums and, and fluffy. And, you know, so there are, there has been growth in the comedy arena. There has been some growth in TV and films, but still like all, all the statistics say that, that we are like 2% of the actors, you know, it's just a tiny, tiny sliver of, of the, and not represented, we're representing our numbers in the population at all. So anyway, all, all that stuff has been shocking to me that that it's taken this long for 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 things to happen. It hasn't stopped me. Like I'm still writing with a Latino, you know, Latino American voice, still making inclusive films. Um, you know, still like for me, you know, I don't we don't make stories about narcos, maids, uh, gardeners. Or drug dealers, any of that stuff, you know? I don't know any myself, you know, uh, narcos. <laughs> Never well, had exactly. any impact on people like you. Yeah. I know lawyers, I know doctors, I know my neighbors who are hardworking folks who, who own their houses. Like, like uh, so that's what we write. We write regular people who happen to be Latino, and they're interacting in a, in a diverse world. They're not interacting in only a Latino world. So um, that's the way life is for me, and uh, that's what we try to reflect in, in, in our films, and just have universal stories where we could we could show that that we are just like everybody else. You know, we have certain quirks, certain likes. We love tacos. <laughs> <You know>? Everybody <laughs> loves tacos. Come on. <laughs> yeah you know but anyway that those are the stories we're trying to tell but yeah I, I've been shocked that at the uh, the lack of uh, this 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 you know this Latino wave, the fact that it never materialized you
0: know no and, and trust me, you know we were there uh, in the 1900s you know the late 1900s but mm-hmm. uh, where, where every year was oh this is the year of the Latino. this mm-hmm. is the year there's a Latin explosion. So much so that we wrote one of the titles of one of our shows, I think, was uh, There's a Latin Explosion in My Pants. Because you know, we were kind of like just get, you know just a little needling because it, it's, it's never happened. But, you know, first it was like J-Lo, then Ricky Martin, then, uh, yeah. you know, Shakira. And, and every year was like, yeah, this is a year. And that's exactly what you said. And I think it's and, and I don't you know, I don't know. It, our people is the, the powers that be. I, I think they're more racist and they are than they are money hungry, I think. I mean, it's because people go like, "Oh, it's it's a money thing. It's a money thing." But if it if it was a money thing, then they would see how much they're leaving on the table by not including us. So I don't think it's I don't think it's a money thing. I think it's almost. I mean, i hate to think that everyone is so ignorant, but then again, you know, if if you work in Hollywood and and your maid is Latino and you know, all, you watch the news and you see all these you know bad things happening and, and whether people invading the country or whatever, maybe then that's the only way they think they you know. Or it's just too easy to keep thinking that way. So I don't know, but you know, even the Asians, dare I say, got got ahead of us. Thank you, you know, thank you, Doctor Ken, type of a thing. But but I think that they're more vocal about it. Believe it or not, you know, where, where, where they would, you know, if you don't support this project, then you know, we're voting with our wallets. And I, I think that we, especially like Mexican Americans or Chicanos, we don't do that. Maybe are we too embarrassed? Or is it? You know, I don't know.
1: I, I'm not sure. Like now that I've been making movies for a while and I see the inner workings of things and I'm trying to like my career is starting to get to the next level, I'm at a point now where, you know, we have a script that we're trying to package and it's, it has a Latina lead and uh, we wrote it this way. And, um, what the, you know, when, when they green light a film, they're like, OK, uh, what stars can we put in it? Right. So they're like, OK, what stars will will green light a film? And what they're telling me is, like, basically, the stars that will greenlight a film is somebody that your grandma knows, like, like uh, you know, the biggest stars in the world, like Tom Cruise and, you know, you name it. Like, anyone that your aunt would know, that's the greenlightable stars. Now, even if you say someone like Edward James Olmos, he is not a worldwide household name. He cannot greenlight a film. And so we're at this place of uh, it is definitely an element of of racism built into the system because the big bankable stars are all white, you know? And so you gotta put one of them in your film in order to get the film greenlit. And so uh, unless, but it's the catch 22 that unless we put people who could be stars, the future stars and green light it, you know, we have to put them in films to make them stars, but they can't be in the film unless they're a star. And that's the catch twenty two we're finding ourselves in, right? That's,
0: you know, and, and that's exactly it. How do you expect us to become stars if you don't even let us, you know, do? Or if there are, if there is a great Latino role, you know, then you put a white person in it, and it's like, well, well I mean, Ben Affleck can play Latino in Argo. Of course, he can play Latino. Okay, but is the opposite true? Can a Latino play a white person? No, you know. Right. So if we, if they look, if we look like, if, if, if they look like us, then I think we should be able to look like them or, or no, you know? You know, I, I think that the
1: answer to that and the, what, what I've been doing with my career is really just working outside the system altogether. Like, the, you know, who greenlit this film here uh, was was uh, an independent company run by a, a Latino guy uh, who, who wanted to tell this story. And so we told this story, you know, we got Chris Catan in it. We got Eddie Ganem, who we worked with in, in Lola's Love Shack, my first film. And, um, you know, we, we went out and, and uh, found some actors that we you know, just did auditions. And um, and we made a film, a little film that, you know, spec in the sense, you know, it's, they call it spec when you just kind of write something that nobody asked for. It's not commissioned. We didn't put any bankable stars in it, per se, other than maybe Chris Kattan. And um, and it was good enough that HBO picked it up. Um, there are thousands and thousands of independent films that get made each year. And, you know, the fact that HBO picked, picked up ours, we're, we're incredibly pleased, uh, which shows that, you know, we got the writing chops, the directing chops, the actors were good. Everybody did a really great job in it. But, um, you know, that, the only way to greenlight something is for us to greenlight ourselves, right? And so the moment we want to start attaching, like doing two, three, four, five million dollar projects and above 10 million dollar projects then we're back to the old system where we need a star in it a bankable star a known recognizable star and then we were cut out of our own like i literally have a script that they're trying to change the ethnicities of my characters because there's no big latino stars capable of greenlighting this thing and i'm sure i'm not the only one you know when you get to the level where people really like your work and want to put 10 million, they're going, be, yeah, we want to do that. But unfortunately, the cast you want doesn't support that, you know, you know. And so I don't know. I'm watching The Offer on Paramount Plus, I think right now, the, uh, the story of making uh, The Godfather. And there was some of that stuff going on and, and like Francis Coppola had to really fight hard to get Al Pacino in the film, for instance. And they, right. they, they didn't I, like him because he was, was a short, dark Italian. And they're like, he's not a leading character. Nobody cares about that He's never going to make it. And, they, you know, that was a big budget film. They fought really hard to get him in. But I think that's what it takes. It's like we got to go up there and we got to fight to to include people that we believe in as as the next generation of stars and make sure that they get the opportunity to become stars, you know?
0: That's it. Well, I, I, and you're right. I mean, it's exactly right. It's this catch 22 where, okay, you want stars, but how, you know, at least then allow us to be, to become stars, maybe not this generation, but the next generation. So, I mean, it's yeah. baby, it's, it's baby steps, I think, you know, but, but it's been going on since I've been in the industry, 20, 20 some years, 25 years, uh, just, just like, like you had mentioned. Now, did you grow up in LA and then you ended up in New York for film school? Yeah. Where did
1: you grow up? I grew up in L.A. I grew up in a, in a town called Hacienda Heights out by by Whittier, kind of uh, Roland Heights. We, um, I, I used to, you know, we grew up in a diverse uh, community, like a bedroom community. My dad worked in um, at Rockwell uh, Aerospace. You know, it was back during the uh, Cold War when one one father's income could support the whole family and buy a nice suburban house, two cars, you know, mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, my next door neighbors were Korean. My other next door neighbors were black, white, Mexican. Everyone was in the, the, we'd play on the street together. So I grew up in a nice diverse um, community here in Southern California. And, um, and then I, I really, it was suburbia. And I was, I don't know, I, I was kind of um, a nerd, not a nerd, but I was very bookish, very, very, uh, I always wanted to travel. And I wanted to get the hell out of my suburban neighborhood. Like I couldn't wait to get out of there, you know. So I applied to, to a bunch of East Coast schools, you know, uh, and I applied to Berkeley and whatever. And I ended up getting into Columbia in New York City. And, of course, I took it. That was as far as I can get from my neighborhood, you know. And so I was 18 years old, Mexican-American kid, moved by myself to New York. No one went to drop me off. My parents just took me to the airport. I jumped on a plane and like, bye-bye. I saw all kinds of other parents like dropping their kids off, help them decorate their dorm room. And I'm just like, I'm here solo. You know, I'm a Chicano kid from LA. But, you know, I took to I took to New York like a duck to water, honestly, like I loved it, loved it. And back then, you know, uh, probably still today, um, they didn't really cart at the bars. So you know, we'd be, we we're 18 years old and we'd be going to all the bars and
0: going down to the village. And, you know, we were just having a blast. Where so. did you live? Where does one live when they, when they go to school in a city like that? I mean, is there, is there a campus? Is there, uh, yeah, is there a, campus. a dorm? I think it's kind of like, yeah, it's a
1: dorm. So everyone, most everyone lives on campus because, uh, you know, unless you live in, in uh, New Jersey and commute home, uh, it's pretty much everybody lives on campus. So yeah, up in uh, 116th Street and Broadway uh, is the Columbia campus and it's it's in a neighborhood they call Morningside Heights. I guess the analogous here in LA would be like USC where it's kind of like it's 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 in Harlem, you know, right. but it's its own kind of u- university campus and, and the university owns all the buildings there in Morningside Heights. And um, it was beautiful, really nice up there. It's right near Riverside Drive, so you have the Hudson River there. Um, a lot of great restaurants, uh, but it's pretty far. Like, if you get a train from 116th Street and Broadway and you want to go to the village, it'll take you 45 minutes to get there, maybe an hour, depending on rush hour. So it's, like, actually not close to, like, the hustle and bustle of... It's It's way uptown, you know?
0: But, but it, it, uh, it was quiet. And, and, uh, are, they, are there more, like like office buildings, skyscrapers, or is that then become more suburban? I mean, um, it's not, It's like New York suburban in the sense that it's like, maybe you got
1: the the, the buildings there are like 13 stories high. You know? Okay. you know, they're not 100 stories high. There's like 20 story buildings and stuff. And there's a lot of residential uh, apartment buildings, mostly residential apartment buildings.
0: Uh, and I think I've been in that area now. Is that close to... Spanish Harlem at all? Is, yes. is, is, it's also close to Spanish Harlem. Yeah. Because I've got some great stories about... Uh, so uh, Horatio, when he got hired by Saturday Night Live back in, in the in the late 97, 98, he was uh, kind enough to invite me to come out there. So I spent a couple of weeks in New York. Um, and I there I was maybe like the only Mexican-American there because there were no Mexican restaurants. I remember that somebody was like, Mexican restaurants? They're like, no. He goes there's a, a Carlos Murphy's, but it was like, you know, like an Irish Mexican bar or something. Um, but I, I, I met, i I mean, that first night I was there was quite an adventure. I met this Dominican guy. He goes, I'm i uh, I'm Dominican, like Sammy Sosa. Cause I think I was wearing my Cubs hat. And, uh, and then he took me up to Spanish Harlem to go to a restaurant, to get this, this Dominican experience or whatever. Uh, where promptly somebody was murdered outside of this restaurant. So I'm going to put together this story. Why you were there? It, yeah, yeah. So because all of a sudden everyone starts getting up from the restaurant, and he goes, "Let's go, let's go." I'm like, I go, why? I go, we got to pay. He goes, No, no, we, we're we're going. So everybody in the restaurant was like, there was this energy. So apparently the waitress's boyfriend, the girl had been waiting on us, her boyfriend got murdered right outside the restaurant, right on the corner, and this guy was like. Oh, he was pissed. He was like, "I bring you up here, you know. I want to show you my city. I want to show you how great it is." And he goes, "And like, people have to fuck it up. <laughs> this guy gets murdered." So he put me in a gypsy cab because I was like, "Well, you know, I'm going to head back to downtown or you know wherever I was staying." And and he was like, oh, "No, no, no. I'll get you a, a taxi." He goes, uh, and he told the guy, "He goes, don't drop him off anywhere else. You take him where he paid. He gave him like twenty bucks. He goes, don't charge him anymore. You. He was like taking care of me. This guy mm-hmm. and I lost his number." I I it always pained me that I that I could never find it, but then of course uh, I tell the cab driver, I'm like, uh, oh, just drop me off here because it was a few blocks from where I was staying. I knew where, where he goes, and he was kind of like, ah, and I was like, I go, I'll be fine, but because there was a bar I wanted to go to, and mm-hmm. I think I ended up at like McManus's. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all, it was this whole adventure. I, I think I met Linda Tripp's son uh, on that uh, that same night. It was it was this world, of, and I was like, wow. New York is crazy. New York is insane, and I'll have to tell you the whole story. I will have to try and remember it, but but, uh, yeah. but I, I remember being up at like one hundred and nineteenth for some mm-hmm. reason. Rings a bell is is mm-hmm. is, is where I was, but um, yeah, I mean it was it was quite the it was quite the adventure, and I had that a wonderful two weeks. But I guess my point was that there were no Mexican Americans there. So what year were you there? If you don't mind giving yeah, away I was your age. there. I, I graduated
1: uh, high school in in nineteen ninety. And I went to New York in 1990, the fall. And so uh, back then, I, yeah, there was no Mexicans. In fact, there were, but they were all working in the back of kitchens. And, uh, and I told people I was Mexican and they go, no, you're not Mexican. Because they pictured, they thought all Mexicans looked like Oaxacans. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Sure. They are like, you're not Mexican. And, you know, and uh, I got a lot of people thought it was Puerto Rican, Italian That's- or Jewish. That's that's kind of what I got. I got called out back then, and I walked into a bodega once, and I was like, I was really hungry for, for Mexican food, and I asked if they had tortillas. The guy didn't even know what a tortilla was. To them, tortillas were the Spanish omelet. You know, of course. This is New York City now. You go to New York City, burrito shops, taco shop. There was, I, I, dude. Let me just say this: is like, I got hired to to direct a film in New York last summer. And it was like the best, like for me, psychically and spiritually, it was like full circle. Like I left New York wanting to become a director and now I'm back directing a movie in the West village. And uh, it was just a huge freaking like I, I was just, I love New York. I I'm crazy in love with New York. Um, but I don't know. Uh, now it was a taco truck right outside the film set. Like literally I walked off the set there's a taco truck. I could get tacos de asada, tacos de carnitas. Like, everything is there. So everything's changed. Like, there's a lot of Mexican-Americans there now. A lot of them. In fact, let me tell you another story. Like, I was just there this summer, and we went to one of the oldest bars that we, we shot in, an old bar called um, The Little Branch. It's in the West Village, and it used to be a speakeasy. It's a, Like, it has a no sign. You walk downstairs. And then you're in this little tiny bar. All of it's downstairs, right? And um, so very, very cool spot. We go in there. I meet the owner and his son. They're from Mexico City, <laughs> okay? They own this old vintage bar in New York. And, dude, wouldn't you know it, we freaking hit it off. Uh, we went. We were filming, and we're, we're wrapping up, and we weren't quite done. And they were supposed to open. And I was like, dude, we're not quite done. Do you think I can get one more? Uh, a couple more minutes. He goes, dude, take all the time you want. (laughs) Take all the time. It's kind of the mi casa su casa vibe. Like from one Mexican, I got the good treatment. Let me just say that. I got the royal treatment there. It was just so cool to see how the city had changed, you know, from when I was there back in the nineties.
0: That's amazing. What, like you said, a full circle. Uh, And and I don't know if I'm using the right word, but it's, would that be cathartic, you know, to, to, to start out leaving the city and then coming back and maybe completing this mission. Yeah,
1: there was was something really fulfilling about it. I mean, maybe there was a catharsis. Like there was something deeply, deeply uh, satisfying about it. Um, You know, and I actually got to see some of my old college buddies. You know, we went out, um, you know, we went out at night and stuff. And uh, just loved it, man. Love that city.
0: I would love to spend some time with you in New York because, again, my experience – was twice, you know, both for a couple of weeks, because just like vacationing or going on holiday somewhere, if I go somewhere, if I spend the time, and, and my ex-wife hated me for the fact that we would, well, for other reasons, but that if I went, like when we went to Cuba, we, we planned it for a month. She's like, this is too long. I'm like, well, if we're going to go somewhere, let's just stay, you know, Paris, I think we did for about three weeks or a month. And then Cuba, I was like, well, we can cut it early. She's like, well, no, we're here already. And then, you know, kind of grew on her. But uh, it's, it's same with New York you know and at the time I still had my ice cream shop so it w- it was it was kind of you know difficult to be gone but once I got there I was gonna just I think I was just gonna go for the weekend see Horatio do his, his first show Cameron Diaz was the host uh smashing pumpkins were the musical guest and it was a great show great first show for him uh and then and then uh, I was like my friend's like why don't you, you should just stick, stay in New York and I'm like I can't stay you know I've got an ice cream shop I gotta get back to he's like well you're welcome to stay here as long as you want so, uh, he's passed away since Ramsey Moore, who was a, a great comedian, very funny, really big guy, yeah, really yeah. B- heavy, heavy. Um, but a, a stand-up comedian, funny guy. And so I, I stayed on his couch for like a couple weeks. Uh, we, we hooked up with, uh, a band called, they had a song called, there were the sneaker pimps. They had this great what? song called spin, spin, sugar, spin, spin, sugar. And, uh, then I, I would keep running into them because I ran into LA and he was like, he goes, did your friend? I go, yeah, he stole a bottle of Jack from you guys. I go, and I'm really sorry. Because this other guy that I was with, it's Harry, stole a bottle of their booze. I knew about it. Uh, so every few years I'd, I'd run into them. But uh, but um, I would love to spend time with you in New York because I think you could really, you know, we could really, really reminisce from New York back. <laughs> oh, man. That, that's
1: it. Yeah. The door is open for me there, man. I mean, just things happen. It's always awesome. There was this one time, man, this was way back. This is kind of old, but you mentioned the smashing pumpkins. We, uh, we went to a concert on Roosevelt Island. I think it was Lollapalooza. Right. And my friend, we had already graduated. So this is like 95, 96. And um, my friend had gotten, uh, she had gotten a job with the park service with the city. And so she's like, Hey, you want to come with me uh we can get on the park city on the park service boat and they'll 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 drive us to the island instead of taking a cab let's take the park boat um hell yeah so we take a take a cab to the, like the launching point of the boat cross the river and like pull in and then we go into the concert of course we drop mushrooms or acid or whatever <laughs> you know had an awesome time smashing pumpkins came out and then we're, we're heading back to the boat we get on the boat and the captain says uh he goes, hey, uh, we're not leaving quite yet. You guys are gonna have to wait. And we're like, why? They're like, we gotta wait for one of the bands. And we're like, oh, which band? They're like, The Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> so we're like, okay, oh, um, okay, yeah, that's yeah, that's sure. cool. Yeah, okay. sure. So literally, we wait for The Smashing Pumpkins, and they get on, and Courtney Love gets on with them. We didn't like she was with them or traveling with them or something. So we're on the boat with Courtney Love and the Smashing Pumpkins right after their concert, and it was just kind of surreal, you know, evening. That
0: is a great story. Oh, my God. Those, wow. Those what, right year, what, what year would this have been? 96, I think, something like that. It was, you know, 97, 98 is when I was there. So it was. it's crazy to think that, we, that our paths could have – possibly cross, but, but you were probably already gone by 90, 98, were you? Yeah,
1: I was you, back in LA by then. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 tried to stay out there for a couple of years. In fact, when I applied to film school, cause I, I went, I got an anthropology degree at Columbia. I'm, I'm sorry, what? And, and uh, anthropology.
0: <laughs> I, I know what it is, but you going to do with an anthro degree?
1: Well, you know, to me, like when you're at a place like Columbia, Uh, I would just take, like, there was literally a book that had who the best professors were and what their class was. And I would just take the classes of the best professors. I didn't, I almost didn't care what they were teaching because great professors are infectious with their excitement. And uh, you learn way better uh, learning from someone who's passionate about what they're teaching. And so Columbia is famous for anthropology. Plus I love world history. but, you know, the honest, it, you know, I was kind of taking a bunch of classes Then I was looking at, like, so I was taking a lot of history, some anthropology. I was taking astronomy, poetry, sculpture. I was taking all kinds of different classes, just broad. I knew I wanted to get into film. And uh, to me, this was my last chance to, like, learn everything before I concentrated on one subject. So uh, I just took a broad thing. And then when I was looking at... um what I should major in, I had a few more cl- I could either major in history or anthropology because those are the classes I had the most uh, credits in and to study. And here's the shitty part of the messed up part uh, is um, that um, in order to study my ancestors, your ancestors, the Aztecs, the Mayans, you know, in order to study our own history, I had to major in anthropology our history isn't called history it's called anthropology right at least at the east coast institutions right history is world history western history you know asian history and you know any anywhere with a with a, a written tradition they burned all the mayan books and they 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 destroyed the, the the wisdom of 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 the native civilizations and so we are now relegated to anthropology so to me, that's why I chose it. I, I majored in uh, Mayan culture, and uh, so I'm. I majored. I did my thesis in post classic Mayan um, archaeology of the Yucatan.
0: And, and, and you and you said you're not a nerd, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally a nerd, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. bookish, he said. That okay. what, that's wonderful, Patrick. I don't think I, you know. I, I, it, it's it's creeping up. So we probably I'm sure we we chatted about it in some drunken night many many years ago. But that's wonderful. That's beautiful. That, that's such a great backstory. Yeah. And then to yeah. go to New York because I think most Latinos, Mexican Americans, I should say, or you know, if, if you're if you're Mexican, you're going to stay in L.A. You know, you're going to and you're going to stay close to your parents. I myself went away, you know, to school three and a half hours from home because then on the weekends I could bring the laundry back, <laughs> drop it off. Hi, <laughs> ma. I'll be I'll see you on Sunday when we drive back. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Michael. Okay. It'll all be nice and folded and ready for you. You know, so, uh, must
1: be nice. You know, uh, my parents, you know, it's particular to that time and place because my parents were also getting a divorce. I, I think I would have gone anyway, because yeah. I've always wanted to like travel far and wide and get out there and see the world. But they were also getting a divorce in the middle of a divorce and there was no reason for me to, to, to go home. You know, they were fighting right. all the time and, you know, so, sure. You know, they're, a bunch of things influence
0: would, would would you even spend holidays in uh in in new york i mean with just one your time new friends, i'm I, guessing or yeah for christmas and new year's
1: instead of going home i went to spain like i i, lo- I looked at it like i'm here in new york and i guess okay the same price for a ticket to la or to europe i'm going to europe <laughs> so i had a friend from college uh who who lived in spain and I spent a couple weeks with him. I spent a couple of weeks um, traveling around. I got to tell you this though, traveling in Spain during Christmas can get pretty lonely <laughs> because yeah. everything closes, it's so religious. Nothing's open, you know what I mean? I couldn't even get like, there's no bars open, no restaurants. It was very, uh, very, it was like, there were, there were some lonely nights oh. in certain, but it, it was a lot of fun times.
0: Did, I, I would imagine did you hit the big city cities uh, Barcelona as they say and uh, yeah Madrid and Madrid Andalusia, oh, yeah. Andalusia. yeah 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 I spent the most time my friend lived
1: in, in Barcelona so that's where I spent the most time and he was like oh my god like he would he was a party animal so we were literally you know after the club closed at four we went to another club then that one closed like at six or seven. Then we went to another club, and I was like, I'm done. I'm like, Uncle, like, can I, you know, and then I literally, I went to sleep in his car. I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I think they're still doing blow and stuff and, like, you know, raging. And I was like, I don't want any more blow. Like, I'm done. <laughs> you know, and I, I, went, I went and took a nap in his car. I was like, can I just nap in your car? He's like, sure, sure, sure. You know, so him and his friends were partying. And then I'm, like, sleeping in the car, and I hear, like, a, you know, I look up and there's a cop. And he's like, i la puerta, abre la puerta. You know, Rick, and the cops want to see my ID and everything. Sure, I'm like, no problem. I'm just I'm just sleeping here. My friends are at the club. The cops searched the car and found drugs in the car. Not my drugs, but I had a passport, so I wasn't in trouble. <laughs> but anyway, they got in oh, trouble. Oh. <laughs> oh
0: man. Oh man. I I fell in love with Sevilla. And they say, you know, well, conocer Sevilla is conocer la maravilla. And I always thought if I moved, to, if I moved to Europe, I would definitely make Seville a, a home base or at least have a place there. Because, and again, the, the, the both times that I've been there, back in the late nineties, ninety eight, I think was another was that same year I think that I went to Saturday Night Live. Um, went there with with a girl and her and her mom and dad, and then. Um, and then about four or five years, six years ago, maybe uh, we went again, and this time we did Barcelona. And then back, I was, I was like, I'll go to Madrid again. I love it. I love Seville. I love all of Andalucia, you no know, Ronda, Granada, all those, all the, all those wonderful places. And I think it was because growing up in, in the Chicagoland area, there was this tapas restaurant Ooh. that uh, you know. So I've always had this affinity for for Spanish food. Well, I guess just food. What am I saying? For food in general, but. <laughs> The are, are are certainly certainly a favorite, and 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 it, there was this connection. You know, I remember it's one of these images that, that will probably stay with me forever. Which was walking like along along this plaza, maybe Plaza del Sol. And it's cobblestoned, and you're walking, and and then you're like, what if one of my ancestors five hundred years ago was walking this exact path and going like, I got to get out of here, but there's this new world to go discover, or I don't know, but but I mean, that's where our ancestors come from. Totally. Um, I think there's definitely that's something that, like when I went to, my, my ancestors,
1: come, or like like my, my second last name is Vidauri, right? That's a Basque last name. So, that, so we come from, so I, we have Basque lineage, which is in the north part of Spain. So I went to San Sebastian and uh, Pamplona, actually. We saw the running of the bulls. But when I was in San Sebastian, there's a beautiful beach on the north of Spain, San Sebastian, And I'm looking at the people, and they look like my uncles. You know what I mean? Like, it looks like my people. And it's just this weird thing when you get this sense of, like, wow, this is where some of my blood comes from. You know? There is definitely a
0: a thing. Do you own or do you have a Basque? Are they walking sticks that the Basque are known for? That they make these very ornate walking sticks, but maybe with with a built-in knife as utility (laughs) And they're no I, I've, I've always them. wanted a walking stick with a knife. <laughs> it's, it's genetic. I don't know. It's it's, I never, they have them? That's what your people, I think, are known for. Uh, so I was going to ask you about your last name because I've always known you as Patrick Perez. And then I see this addition, which to me sounded somewhat like Argentine. And maybe is that because people from the Basque region went to Argentina or... Is is that strictly um, Argentina,
1: Basque? Yeah, and it also sounds Italian a little bit. So there's a lot of Italians in Argentina and a lot of Basque in Argentina. But I'll tell you about the last name. I you know I'm glad you brought it up because, um, you know, uh, I've been I am Patrick Perez. Everyone knows me as Patrick Perez, Uh, and I decided to take my my grandfather's last name and, and and add it to my name because. Uh, for a couple of reasons, there's there's like if you look up on IMDb, Patrick Perez, there's a gaffer, there's a cinematographer, there's like five other people with the same last name, right? The same exact name, and I wanted to distinguish myself and differentiate. But as a director, I also noticed that that there was a hell of a lot of um, uh, three name Latinos getting a lot of work. <laughs>
0: <You know? laughs> okay.
1: All right, okay. You yeah. <laughs> got. Uh, you got Lin-Manuel Miranda, Alejandro gonzalez Uh, You know, you got, you got, uh, you know, any time uh, someone has three names, they just sound, and plus Hollywood really seems to favor Mexicans from Mexico over yeah. Mexicans from the U.S. Like, 100%. Cuaron is getting all the work and and, and all these other people getting, getting tons of work. And we have a really, cr- you know, creative and talented people here. But, you know, I think that 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 third last name adds a little bit of mystique, a little bit of charm. It differentiates me a little bit, but it also uh, you know pays you know a little you know is a little like uh, fu to like like really do I really got to be like from somewhere else in order to make it here? You know, I can't be a native yeah. LA Chicano boy made good. Patrick Perez can't make it, but Patrick Perez Vidari is getting a lot of work lately.
0: I love it. I, and that, 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 yeah, everyone, please a round of applause for Patrick Press Vidari. Uh, so I hope you don't mind. I think I'm going to start going by Paul Vato Vidari. Uh,
1: <laughs> you already got the V. We both have V names. Well, you, you the... you know, everyone's taking their name. You know, do, that, do people know your real name is Paul Rodriguez?
0: Not many people, but so thanks for letting everyone know now. <laughs> no, you know,
1: um, it's like there was one famous comic who, who's uh, you know. Is not universally loved, but uh, Paul Vato is a great name. I've always loved that name. Thank you. I, th- I, I think that artist name is, is a great idea. I think it's like, you know, having an artist that we we really have to represent something greater than ourselves, where we become kind of like the you know the, the mythological, you know, you have to mythologize yourself a little bit,
0: you know. I think so, and you're right. Paul Vato lends itself because it's it, it's it's so ethnic almost, but yet it depends how you pronounce it because you know. Uh, the, the white guys that gave me the name Vato, uh, then all of a sudden Latinos are like, "Oh, Paul Vato, órale, <laughs> You know, so there's all that, and then there's such balance to it. I think like Paul Vato, four and four, and and, and it's easier than Paul Rodriguez. But there's already Paul Rodriguez, the comedian, and then his son is even more famous, who's this yeah, the skateboarder. Yeah, so theater. you know, I want him to sponsor. You know, I you want got, to get shooting. you got to
1: differentiate. You know everybody changes their name, including you know Tom Cruise, and and you know like just it goes on and on and on the the, the people who've who've either changed their name or or you know added to their name. It's so my grandfather's last name, like I said, he's uh, of Basque uh, roots, but I traced my ancestry in Mexico. Like actually went down there to the town that my grandfather uh, immigrated from in in nineteen like nineteen eighteen nineteen seventeen. Uh, is when he first crossed the border into the States. And so I went to the town that he left from and found distant relatives there. And they told me all kinds of stories and um, was able to trace my ancestry in that town back to the first Spanish settlers that came in the 1500s.
0: Wow.
1: So, yeah, my family's been in the, the continent of North America. They're coming originally from Spain and the Basque region.
0: That's such such great history. When did your grandfather pass away? I'm, I'm assuming. Oh, my dad was 17, and,
1: and uh, so he, he actually passed away before I was born, uh, sure. a long time ago, uh, probably in the uh, in the 60s. Uh, and so, and where where were your parents born? I, I would imagine uh, my dad was born in, in East LA. Um, he his his uh, so his father and mother came. And they brought their first. The two oldest were born in Mexico. Then they had thirteen kids. So the, the next eleven were born here in the states. Jesus. And my dad was the youngest of all of them. So um, they all fought. Like they were drafted into World War II, the Korean War, uh, and Vietnam. My dad was too young for for World War II and too old for Vietnam. So he kind of missed the the. He didn't he didn't go to war. But most of my uncles. Are were were either career military, uh, or served at some point. Um, so I have a like a long tradition of uh, of uh, service to this country in my family. Well, and I'm, um, I'm glad that it ended with you. You're like, I'm, I'm not going. Like, hell no. I well, look, I, I I was an intellectual. I was a nerd. <laughs> I wasn't interested in in war or fighting. You know, I was interested in books and
0: learning. We're lovers. We're not fighters. Yeah, we're lovers, Paul. Come on. Come on, obviously. Come on, <laughs> um, which, which kind of I, I, you've probably heard the stories, and you know that it's my understanding that Latinos are the most highly decorated of uh, Medal of Honor winners. I believe, and and you know, please, if, if I'm I am misspeaking, I hope somebody corrects me. But it's my understanding that that as as Latinos go, we have we we have the most Medal of Honor uh, inductees because, and I, I guess I don't know, bravery, whatever. But or maybe just because there were so many of us on the front line. I, I don't know. But um, I would I think a project like that would be would be amazing. Here I am. I'm pitching you ideas. Hey, how about doing this? How about do, doing that? I, I, um, I have
1: uh, definitely been pitched that before.
0: <laughs> OK. Um,
1: that is a great idea. And uh, I wish that that we would actually do that. Um you know that again, we're going to run into the problem of of uh, well, who's going to star in it? And we, you know, if we're going to do a huge period piece, but you know, there's a story. You know, my my collaborator and a longtime friend, Esteban Zul, sure, uh, his father, no, his grandfather, is a Latino Medal of Honor winner. He personally yeah. saved his whole whatever platoon or whatever he rushed a pillbox and killed a bunch of Japanese and like took a bullet to the, to the, the, the couple bullets, but he, he killed like 12 people. And it was nuts. Like what, like the story of what he did reads like an unbelievable action movie. And, um, and there's many, many Latino medal of honor winners. There was a play done by Kiki Castillo, um, Enrique Castillo, who is uh, a great actor who was on weeds and many sure. things in our film. Uh, in other words, and uh, he did a play about Latino Medal of Honor winners going all the way back to World War One. I. I think he had Civil War, World War One, World War Two, In every conflict there's been Medal of Honor winners because uh, I mean there's just something about I, I don't know if it's the machismo or the bravery or the you know the like look at Mexican boxers they are the fiercest fighters there are they'll sit in there and mix it up and get hit and come on keep on coming back and I think that that kind of ethic. Especially, you know, for me, I mean, in my family and in our tradition, as Mexican Americans, we've seen it over and over uh, that there's something special about that fighting spirit. And um, you know, one of the things I used to say is uh, my 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 uncle Uncle Johnny. We'd go. He had a house in East LA, and he would he would collect stuff. And I used to go like he was a hoarder. Well, now we nowadays we call him hoarders. Back then, he was a collector. But but he really I'm a collector, um,
0: today. exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah but i would I would go through his house and it was like it's a trip because you know my my family like my dad was the youngest of thirteen, so his oldest brother was like twenty years older than him you know what I mean so he was almost like his father, so he was more like my grandfather my uncle Johnny was an old man when I was a little kid, and uncle Johnny collected stuff from the twenties thirties forties and fifties, and his whole house was full of it. And so one of the day, one day he brought out um, a Nazi helmet and a German Luger that he took off a dead Nazi in World War II. And, uh, you know, when um, I've always said, you know, like, I, I'm really proud of my of my uh, ancestors and my, my family who who took the fight to the Nazis and didn't let uh, fascism, you know, take over Europe or the United States and and. We'll be damned if we're going to do it
0: now. Greetings, my Vatos Locos, and welcome to another episode of Paul Vato Presents, where my guest is Patrick perez Vidowry. Patrick is a director, filmmaker, producer, and I know him from the old Pocho Hour of Power Days when I did a radio show in Los Angeles. If you're enjoying today's episode, please consider sponsoring us on Patreon, but also find our podcast, Paul Vato Presents, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and giving us a like, a share, and a follow. It would really help us. controversy, so over the weekend. And I mentioned Saturday Night Live earlier. I even managed to use the word cathartic. Uh, and uh, I may, we may have already said, that's sad. But uh, so Melissa Villaseñor, and so I, I want to maybe get your opinion on this. Uh, and I'm, if I can find, I don't know where, but maybe a Latina who does comedy, I would love to talk to her as well. Because I don't want people to think like, oh, you know, well, you guys are guys and that's why you think this way. But um, for those that don't know, Melissa Villaseñor is a Latina on Saturday Night Live. To my understanding, if you're on that show, you got to be constantly pitching yourself. So I feel like a lot of times it might be not an easy road for people that come from like stand-up. You know, you're used to doing your stand-up. Now, if you come from the world of improv, you're used to the collaboration. You're used to using improv to write sketches. So so I don't know whose fault it is that that they haven't maybe utilized her as much as they should. I would be happy as shit if I was on that show and didn't have to do any work. You know, I don't know how long you can milk that, but I I would I would be fine with that personally. I think she's done like two
1: years or three years without hardly showing up. She's starting to,
0: to starting to bubble up now. But but maybe she's hitting her stride, and I don't want this to be taken away from her because people found it somewhat offensive. Uh, and is Hacienda Heights actually by by Pico? Is it, Hell is it yeah. uh, Pico Park? What's Pico Park? Hell yeah! Eight.
1: I don't know if there's. I guess there's a real Pico Park. I've never been there, but yes, Pico Rivera is
0: definitely by Hacienda Heights. Yes. Okay. Close. Okay, because because I you know reading some of the comments, uh, there was a, a lady who's somewhat notable in the Latino maybe film industry, and maybe you can explain her better. And I don't know if we should name names or not, but she wasn't very happy with the sketch. I think she's probably the, the one leading the charge. Uh, and I can see I can see the all sides, and I was like, you know what? I literally. I'm so cocky. I, I, what I wrote was, uh, well, first it irks me when people call them skits. It just shows you that they're not in comedy. That they, 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 so they shouldn't even have anything to say about comedy if you're calling sketches skits. And I know sometimes in the UK they're called skits, but it's sketches. And I don't think anyone's going to respect your opinion if you call them skits. I'm just putting it. I'm just putting it out there. I could be wrong, and maybe I'm being elitist because I studied at the Second City and Improv Olympic and that's what my background is but we never called them skits to us it's almost like you're just doing little bits where, where sketches are something that's well thought out and it's satire and and it, it uh, you know it doesn't punch down things like that so so that already got me going I'm like there you know no one's gonna appreciate what you have to say if you don't even know the difference between a skit and a sketch uh, and then you know giving notes on this so you know I'm pretty passionate about it and I, of course I believe in freedom of speech and to be able to say whatever we say we want to say, and then, you know, maybe deal with the consequences. But I think as comedians, as satirists, we need to be given a little bit more leeway to, to you know, we know where the line is, but then it's our job to either push those boundaries, but do it in, in a smart way. So I, I wrote, like, I'm going to go check it out, and then I'll come back and tell you guys how you should feel. You know, I'm, I'm being a little snarky. I'm trying to be funny. Um, so I went, I did. I went and checked it out, and I laughed. So that's the way I gauge it. If I laugh, then it's funny, and it's work. And I don't think it was Oh, is it the world's greatest sketch? No. Yeah. Uh, but was it funny and entertaining and, and w- without being heavy-handed? And, you know, sometimes comedy and change, you need to, like, sugarcoat it a little bit. And uh, so I, I enjoyed it. So I, I don't know how you feel about it, but I thought it was funny. I thought it was entertaining. Um, it made me laugh because, you know, and I'm like, God, I hope she never sees our old show Touched by an Anglo, where our closing number was the, the Wetback Street Boys. I mean, she would shit her pants if, if, if she saw that or or um, any, other, you know, who wants to be an American citizen where the more questions you answered, the, the more citizenship, you know, visas up to full citizenship. So uh, I, I don't know what, what, what what's your take on it. And I don't know if we can should we should explain the sketch or maybe people should go watch sure, sure. it. Let me
1: let me uh, I guess uh, explain it first for anyone who didn't see it. Uh, Selena Gomez was uh, one of the hosts of Saturday Night Live. I don't know if she was the main host, and uh, Melissa Villaseñor, who's the only Latina cast member uh, currently on on the show, uh, were, were playing basically a couple of Cholas, gang gangbanger chicks, kind of gangish. They weren't, and it was really to me, it, the, the comedy was built around their accent, and really the, the punchline, the catchphrase on it was. That's sad. Oh, that's sad. Right. And it all, and if you read Via Senor's uh, um, take on it, she's saying that she overheard some girls talking in Target and she thought that was a funny phrase. And, and she put it in her stand up routine. And the writers took her stand up routine and wrote it. And she helped to write it. And they developed this little sketch uh, um, where they say, That's sad. And they go, Oh, oh, that's good. Oh, no, that's sad. So basically, that was, that's a, like, as, as, as the sketch evolved, that was the punchline, if there was one. But, you know, it's not the greatest sketch ever written on Saturday Night Live, but it's not the worst either. I think what they took offense to, what people took offense to was that these, these two girls were portraying, um, were portrayed as stupid. They didn't like, they said this, now we're going to talk to this woman. She's where the, she, she hangs out where all the books are at. <laughs> you know? And then she goes, yes, I'm a librarian. And, and so they objected to Latinos being portrayed as stupid. Right. I think that was the, the crux of their objection was that not only were they using a demeaning uh, Latino stereotype of the gangbanger, but they were also portrayed as really stupid. Um, you know, not everybody likes every joke, you know, but I felt like the criticism, sure, everyone's entitled to your opinion. You don't like the sketch, fine. But every single piece that a Latino makes is held up to such a high standard that I'm just like, I'm exhausted with the, critis- with the, with the self-criticism that Latinos heap upon every attempt to portray ourselves in the media. You know, we saw this happen when, 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 um, when In the Heights came out I went to see it in theaters and it was gorgeous, beautiful. A celebration of Latinidad. And There was every shade and every race and every group. There were Dominicans and Mexicans and, and, and Colombians and Puerto Ricans. Everybody was there represented. And so when the, the criticism started coming out from the Latino community that there weren't enough Afro-Latinos, I was flabbergasted. One of the main characters in the whole movie is an Afro-Latino. Two of them. Two of the main characters in the story were Afro-Latinos. Plus they were well represented and they were saying, well, the Afro-Latinos they picked, they weren't dark-skinned enough. Like they were too light-skinned, you know? I'm like, wow, <laughs> we're really splitting hairs now. Like nobody could do not even Lin-Manuel Miranda can do it right. I really became kind of weary. So I'm starting to like I'm I'm definitely a little bit I thought the sketch was innocent And sweet. And it was a sketch on a sketch that was poking fun at the accent. And I want to say this, that I think that the Chicano accent is not used enough in movies. It has never been really seen and featured in such a way. I know in blood and blood out it has or like bound by honor and kind of the gang films. But like if you go to my barbecue of my family, it's oh George Lopez in his show used it a little, only he did, but not the rest. But if you go to the barbecue in my family, they they have a really, really unique accent. It's just as unique as an Italian, a New Jersey accent, or a Jewish accent in New York, or a Southern accent. It's a very specific accent. And it's like, Mijo, oh, how are you doing, Mijo? You're looking really good. Oh wow, look how tall you are. You know, like that's, that's it. That's how they talk, you know. And I love them, and I love that accent. And I wish it was used more. So I was kind of happy that that, they, that the joke on that was the accent, you know. So I think the people who um, because the catch line was, "Oh, that's sad." Oh,
0: that's, sad. <laughs> that's sad. That's sad. But so, I, so I think the people missed the joke. I, I think so because you know what they, they did a similar sketch about the four Oh five. And I forgot what that sketch was called, but it, it was, you know, the, the, whatever, but there were all these white people. Well, they were all blonde, even, even Keenan who's black had blonde hair. And it, it was, I forgot what they were called, but, but the that California accent, which I didn't know it really existed until I met my ex-wife. And she would say, <laughs> uh, do, do you, what time are we going? I'm like six. She'll sex. I'm like, what sex, what the, wait, <laughs> sex, was Six six o'clock. Um, well, I I need, I need a pen, you you need a pen, okay? No, a pen. I I gotta write something, you know? And you're like, what the hell are these people? Saying? And then sometimes she would say, oh, "What's up, fool?" Like, oh, that's sad. And she, that this is a white girl, you know? So it's a very California. <laughs>
1: I mean,
0: it's it's there. It exists, and and uh, I I agree I agree with what you're saying. But no one, I think, complained. And I I, sh- I should do more research and, and remember what that sketch was called about. About uh, the, the people from the Californians, I think it was called the yeah, California. Californians. It was it
1: but was California. a uh, it was a complete soap opera, and they're like, they Everything was about the freeways, right? It was like the 405. The 101 right. to the four hundred five to
0: the seven ten, <laughs> and that's exactly yeah. And and I don't think anyone complained about that. Like, oh my god, you're making fun of this California of this white people doing this accent, you know? So I I, I agree with you. I, I think you know it. It the the subject was. That accent. And I randomly found just earlier today, I found Melissa's podcast, and it's a one person podcast. And uh, and and, on this episode, she was, this was back in January, she was talking about it already when Betty White died. And that's what happened. She was at Target, Betty White had died. And then people started talking about it because, you know, it comes up on your phone. And then so there was this Latina girl, and she goes, Oh, no, Betty White died. That's sad. (laughs) So that's where it comes from. You know, it came from this. And that's how we develop characters. I think. I just also saw uh, Mike Myers, uh, the comedian, not 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 uh, from from uh, not from the horror flicks. Uh, Mike Myers. He was talking about how to develop a character. And Sometimes that's all what it takes. It's you know one little word, and you're like, that's a character right there. You know. So I mean, give her. I saw that. Yeah, give her. her 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 I saw that interview. She she got. You know,
1: what? I I think they did it. They did it right. And, and, you know, the problem is, and here's what I diagnose it, is that we don't have enough content. So every single piece of content is supposed to redeem all Latinos throughout all time. It's supposed to represent us in the highest light because we're up on stage so few times that when we are up on stage, we're supposed to represent the, the best of the best at all times, you know but that's not, that doesn't allow for, for bad comedy or trying stuff out and failing. And, you know, it's like, every, you can't judge everyone into silence, you know, or criticize them into, you know, in, you know into obscurity. I think people have to be allowed to like have a voice. And if you don't like it, great. Some people thought it was funny. Some people didn't. And they, they thought it was insulting. And
0: we have to be allowed to fail, I think is maybe kind of what you're saying because you're a hundred percent right. You know, that's the same same with the films at like in the Heights. Every single film is held to such a high standard because we don't get a chance to do it. So when we do it, we're going to be criticized. So it better be great or perfect. And not everyone's going to like it. Not everyone's going to love it. You know, so so you're 100 percent right there, Patrick. It, it's like there's so few con- there's such few content that. It's just held to this standard,
1: yeah. though. Yeah, it's supposed to be like representing all Latinos in the best light possible and answer for all the past neglect in this one, you know, thing. And it's like it's not going to happen. And then there's this new, th- you know, this is not. I'm, am definitely, you know, I know your politics and mine, and we, so we don't always see eye to eye, but we have a conversation and we have our opinions. And um, I just, you know, don't like when if you're not outraged, then you're, you're wrong. You know, it's like I'm not outraged. You know, and it's okay. You're fine. You want to be outraged? Go for it. You know. But I'm glad they did that sketch. I hope they do twenty more. And I hope that that you know the people who felt were offended by this like some of the stuff. But you know, we just can't tear people down before we even had a chance to rise.
0: You know, that's sad. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's it's in my head now. I I, I mean I, I'm gonna try to use it any every every time that I can. Um, and, and I I wish Melissa the, the best of luck and, and uh, I hope she yeah I hope that this is the beginning of something great with whether it's that character or just you know more more stuff because she's very talented. Her impressions are amazing. Let me let me say this too that I think that it's a, it's it's another
1: thing that people didn't notice, especially coming from the West Coast. You're right. They did the Californians and they did this. But most, it's it's a New York show, and most of the writers are East Coast writers, and most of the the performers are not from the West Coast. It really doesn't have, like, I don't think the East Coast is aware or familiar with our accents, our, our kind of racial makeup, the way we interact, the way we talk. The fact that they did a comedy about Pico Rivera making fun of a very specific, colloquial, local accent, you know, that's awesome. I'm glad that West Coast was represented. You know, there's plenty of pizza shop in in a, you know and the taxi you know, or or uh, at a club, but it's all New York stuff. This is West Coast and that that voice uh and you know Selena Gomez who's a Texas uh Latina, you know, got to use our kind of our, our Mexican American uh accent on the national stage, which you know Little of exposure,
0: like I say, they got to do more. Well, look at Wayne's World. Uh, I mean, that was based in my hometown, Aurora, Illinois, and the reason was because the writers were from Naperville, which is the wealthy town next door. I mean, now it's all kind of almost become one. I think, but but uh, I haven't been back for a long time, so I probably shouldn't speak on it. But you know, and they were literally going like, let's make fun of Aurora. You know, they were kind of shitting on us by putting Wayne's World these kind of dumb. You know, party kids in Aurora, Illinois, and so it's kind of. But we were like, "Oh my God, our town, our hometown, got a mention." You know, so, I mean, I'm yeah. going to put Pico Rivera and Pico Park, if it exists, on the map.
1: I think that I saw I saw a bunch of comments to that regard. They were like, "Yeah, Pico Rivera,
0: we made the cut." You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We were like, yeah, thank you. Make fun of us all you want. And we make fun of us all. We make fun of ourselves all the time. You know, I think as Latinos. Shut up. Stupid. (laughs) You've got it down good, man. You've got it. And it's all, it's not just California. It's, you know, the the Texas family, even, you know, where my mom's from, El Valle, they call it, McAllen. Yeah, yeah, McAllen, Brownsville. Brownsville,
1: yeah, Harlington, yeah. Carling, yeah. That's where my college roommate was from. That's funny because really? they have a Chicago accent mixed with a little bit of a Texas twain. <laughs> it's a very interesting accent. What does that sound like? I got it's yeah. They say y'all and they kinda say so it's like it's like y'all see them, They're
0: stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's stupid.
1: That's I mean, uh, that uh, y'all. <laughs>
0: That's rich. That's good. Yeah, I'm yeah, from yeah. Chicago, where we don't got an accent, so you know. Oh yeah, so- sure. You don't got no accent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: You got now. You, you guys have like you got the Polish accent mixed with the uh, Chicano accent. You know, that's Isn't, it. I love it. The richness and all that is like is like brings color. and brings. It's part of our our uh, legacy of, of of immigration and the diversity of the people who come here. You know, I love it.
0: I, I, like, I miss I miss Chicago, and I miss that. And I don't know if segregation is the right word, but there's distinct neighborhoods where you know you can go to the Polish neighborhood, you can go to the you know, Little Italy, you can go, and but then you and it's people from all walks of life live there. But then you get the food that's kind of specific to wherever those people are from. At least that's the way it used to be when I was there. Again, I probably shouldn't talk. Pilsen area, right? I've never even been there, but isn't it? It's called Pilsen. Yeah, Pilsen, Pilsen, which used to be a Czech, like like Pils, uh, like the Pilsen beer, uh, used to be, uh, I believe, a Czech neighborhood, and now of course it's all Latino, and that's where we first did our show. I think that's where we first tried it, uh, and we found great success in Pilsen. And Pilsen, so shout out to Pilsen, it's mm-hmm. a great Latino enclave. When uh, Francisco Hernandez came uh, one time to Chicago, he was just so surprised uh, that he goes, he goes, there are so many. Mexicans here. I'm like, yeah, I go, we're, we're like the third, I don't know, fourth largest, you know, I guess after LA, you know, Chicago, there's Mexico city, then probably LA, then maybe Chicago, Mexican-Americans. I'm like, yeah. And it's, you know, it's almost half, half Mexican-American, half Puerto Rican, you know, and, and uh, that's, that's Chicago. There, there's this rich Latino culture there as well. You, I think you would love it. It's, it's, it's like New York light. It's like a lighter version of New York. If that makes sense there's a
1: huge uh, audience of kids of, 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 Mexican immigrants who are going to grow up to be bicultural, just like we are. And they're going to have the same experience that we did of living in both worlds and in two languages. And so I think that us as creators, it's important for us to keep putting our voice out there because we're really um, causing like a resonance with the next generation. The, one out of every, what is it? Like, like three, something like three out of four Latinos are like under the age of 18. Like Latinos are the youngest demographic and the fastest growing. So it's really going to be a big pocho Chicano, you know, a Mexican American future and Latino American future. And so I think that us putting our record down, you know, uh, putting our experiences down for the record, you know, whether it be books, plays, comedy, movies, movies, You know, art, paintings, uh, any kind of art, it's important for us to to state for the record, we are here, we are American, just as Americans as anybody else. And our experience is a unique one. And, you know, and get get our voice out there, because there's going to be a lot of people coming behind us who are going to be saying, like, wow, I see myself in that, you know. Yeah, yeah.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you. Guys, I want to thank everyone uh, that's that's been with us today. Thanks for popping in. And, of course, please share the replay uh, and then look for it. And if you guys could do me a favor, and if you go where the fortune cookie is, uh, I've put Patrick's websites there. there, There's his IMDB. Uh, There is also uh, directly to his website. You can also follow me at paulvato.com. But if you guys could do me a huge favor and look for Paul Vato Presents, the podcast, uh, if you go to paulvato.com, there should be links right there, but specifically on iTunes or Apple Apple podcast, I should say, and Spotify. And if you could give it a follow, if it's in your heart to give a review, if it's good, if not, you know, don't say anything uh, and, and rate it, you know, I would be eternally grateful because that's how the podcast picks up uh, steam. And uh, I've already had, I think I've already had some wonderful guests and I have some other great guests. I think I'm going to do Lalo tomorrow. Uh, Is gonna so if you want to pop in, I I don't know if you guys uh, chat or not, but uh, uh, I think maybe around four or five PM tomorrow will be Lalo Alcaraz, who's the creator of La Cucaracha. But Patrick, man, I I don't know how you're doing on time because we could Joe Rogan this and go all night, but uh, or or I'd love for you to come back whenever you're ready to promote something else.
1: Sure, I'd love to be back. Uh, You know, if you want to keep it going, you tell me. Um, You know, I'd love to increase my followers as well. Like if we could do. If you guys want to follow me on Instagram, check out, uh, at Pat Perez world, Pat Perez world. And then on Twitter, I'm uh Pocho Patrick. Um, (laughs) so, uh, check me out on Twitter also. I don't really post that much. I just kind of creep and follow and read the news, but, uh, but I post a lot on Instagram and yeah, we're having a bunch of movies coming out. Uh, I have one that just got sold. I have another one, the one I did in New York that still hasn't got a distributor yet. So there's going to be a lot of, uh, and there's some festivals, film festivals coming up. So I'd love to like, I'd love to get an audience. I'd love you guys to check out my film. Um, in other words, on HBO Max, leave a good review, give us some stars. We're doing okay on reviews, but it could, you know, I'd love to, to get more thumbs up and uh, and make it even better. But uh, yeah, we're here to represent, um, you know, inclusivity and uh, diversity and authentic uh voices and uh, I'm going to keep doing it as
0: long as I got breath in me. So that, that's wonderful. You're such an inspiration and so motivational. And lately uh, I've also I also had a, a young lady um Natalia Michelle who is only 20 but is killing it on social media on, uh, you know and, and her her Instagram and TikTok and has owns a, has a company that helps other people with their social with their socials. Um let me ask you this: as a filmmaker and, and somebody who does casting as well, and is very intimately involved with, with all that process, has that become more important? Social media. I, I know that obviously you you want to you know get more followers and things like that. But if, if there are two actors that are equally qualified, do you start looking at their social media and go, "Well, this one has a million followers"? I, I, I think that producers do. Like I do produce, but I don't. I, I try
1: to think like I I as a director want to cast the person that I think. Is is the most right for the part. If there were two, like like I've never come across a, a moment where there was two equal people, and I had a really hard time deciding. Usually, it's like somebody is either right for the part or they're not, and it's you know it sucks as an actor. It's difficult, uh, but you know usually you just somebody works. But yes, like for casting directors and others, it does make a difference. It definitely does make a difference if you have eleven million or five or four million followers. That makes a big difference to, to people, especially when, because they're thinking the same as, as you know, they're thinking when it comes time to distribution, can you get these, can these convert into sales? Can, can sure. your viewers, then you could advertise your, Hey, I'm in this film. And then your followers will become your viewers, you know? So yes, it makes a big difference uh, to casting directors and producers. Uh, and then in television, I know that especially I, w- I worked in reality television for a long time. And, um, Influencers are big in that, you know. They would bring influencers into game shows and and uh, reality shows and, and cooking shows and all kinds of stuff because they think that they're going to bring an audience with them. So, yeah, it's important. That social media thing is important. Not that I've worked on it at all, but it's important.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, the, it is. So, yeah, please, like, like Patrick asked, uh, please give him a follow. Give me a follow and all that good stuff. Uh, I, I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, but I think the shift came when I started thinking about social media uh, as a content creator and not as a consumer. So, Patrick, I think uh, we have to almost instead of consuming, consuming, consuming is start thinking about creating and, you know, uh, w- whether you do behind the scenes stuff at, at, of your next movie or clips of your movies and put them out there on on TikTok. You know, it's not uh, it's now surpass Google where people go to search things, believe it or not, because, you know, it's it's. Uh, Maybe because of China or, or wherever you know it's, it's based in, but you can go to TikTok and you know it's a one-minute video, and maybe it'll teach you what you need to learn as opposed to googling something and oh, I, I'm gonna have to watch a ten-minute video. No, you know, give it to me right now, real yeah. quick. So it's not just about kids dancing. If, if that's, I know some people think that, but TikTok is is one of the, the places to be. So I'm same thing. I'm working on that. You know, I, it really hit home. When my business was closed, you know, bricks and mortar, two bricks and mortar stores in Vegas and a casino, the whole casino's closed. There's no business. So that's when I was like, wow, I really should have been paying more attention to social media because then you can reach out to all those people and and you still have your customers. But uh, so I don't take that for what it's worth, but uh, it's a yeah, it's
1: no, to- great. Thank, thanks for inviting me um, on, on the show. You know, we both uh, were, were on the radio, on terrestrial radio, uh, with Lalo Algaraz, your guest for tomorrow. On the Pocho Hour of Power, I think your voice is still on the intro. <laughs> I,
0: think I think so. Uh, <laughs> well, I had Jeffrey Keller on as well, and I think we covered that. He, I think he said that they might have another theme song, but oh, okay. for years, fifteen years, I think I was like, "Let's do this" or whatever. We had this whole sketch that 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 we did, and uh, it was such a pleasure. That's I. That's really how we got to know each other, right? I mean. Or how did we first meet?
1: I guess. I mean, you know, we met before that just kind of socially. But um, but yeah, that, I mean, we were on that radio show every week for, for many years. And then, um, you know, I was I finally left when I started getting jobs. And I, I raised a family. I have three kids now. And my, my oldest is 14. You know, so um, wow. there came a point where I had to be at work. <laughs> I couldn't be on the radio at 3 p.m. on a Friday, 4 p.m. on a Friday. Yeah, because uh, it wasn't. And easy. I remember uh, uh, Alan there. Minsky, the producer, came in and it was like, "You guys should really do this new thing called podcast. It's going to be big." And like we were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and we didn't, we didn't do the podcast. Like maybe, maybe we should talk to Lalo about it tomorrow. <laughs> let's. I
0: I will. I think I think we need a pocho a pocho cast a pocho yeah. podcast because uh, I I kind of tried and I did a few episodes, but it was just so time consuming because. I would literally, it was like this, it was a video podcast. I would take the audio and then I would throw images into it. And I still have them somewhere because I, I did, were you there when the, the Blasters uh, yeah. did a show? Mm-hmm. The, 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 the band, the Blasters, yeah. I, that episode. I have a few episodes. I'll have to dig them up, see if I can find them. Cool, man. Well, let's do this again. I would, Patrick, I would love to. And, and hopefully next time your better half might be able to pop in and say hello. If you want to do a shout out to, Christina Nava, who I think I might still owe an apology. I remember when she wrote her show called uh, Rocks on My Salsa, and I think I accidentally said, maybe I didn't accident but I said something about Salsa on My Rocks. So I hope she didn't make it.
1: <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, my wife is uh, writer Christina Nava. She wrote this movie and, and produced it, and we've been uh, collaborating for years. And so we're kind of a husband and wife team. Uh, making films, and uh, yeah, we, we're working on some new stuff, and um, so yeah, well, let's have her on next time.
0: I, I, I would love that, and even if it's just her, it maybe even better, we'll have a better show. Yeah, most likely, yeah, it's true. <laughs> 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 I think I'm going to try to, to start doing the Poch Hour of Power again, You because know, now I think it's calling when they're not doing a fundraiser. There's public radio folks, so be ready to be hit up for money all the time, uh, but I loved I loved doing that show with you, Patrick, and and I thought we each brought a little bit of a unique voice, you know, from different parts of the country, uh, and and uh, I, I love it and I miss it, and uh, you forget how much power there is now because yeah, it was terrestrial radio, but all over the all over L.A. I mean, we had such we have such a great following on that show, so so Patrick, it, but it's been such a pleasure to reconnect, and I, I hope that we get to work together soon. Uh, or anytime, you know, because uh, I love your work. And, uh, and if you look behind me, like, look, I could play a Mexican wrestler. You don't even have to see my face, whatever, you know? <laughs> oh, that's you. <laughs> no idea. Well, be- thanks. Be- for- awesome. this it's account. been a real
1: pleasure. And, um, you know, happy that we're both still in the media and, uh, you know, and we're going to keep on, keep on doing our thing. So let's
0: keep talking about it, making some noise. You got it, my friend. I, I think, uh, Tomorrow it's uh will we'll, this overnight success will come to us probably li- literally tomorrow or the next day. So we just have you know a few more a few more days to go and we're there. Awesome, Thank you. from make way for